So we want to talk about opening weekend this this week. Yeah, sure. I'll do my best to put on my director mask. Director mask. Does anyone in our company listen to this? I don't know. I don't care either. I got some shit to say. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, it's part of the thing, right? I think I'm j- honestly. I just I just think I'm cranky. I'm... I just and I don't and I don't want to take it out on anybody. That's my secret, Shane. I'm always cranky. And there's our B roll. <laughs> Can it just be A roll? I mean, A roll. Yeah, you're just getting raw, uncut, Mike and Shane. Yeah, welcome to Active Listeners, mother. Hello and welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Each week we interview guests about their goals and expectations as artists, their artistic expression, and the all-around nature of the artist's lifestyle. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is there a de facto artist lifestyle? Well, that's one of the things we try to uncover. Performers, visual artists, and musicians, Mike and I would like to talk to you about what you do, why you do it, and what that art means for your community. Please follow Active Listeners on Facebook or the Twitters and join in on the conversation. Peace. Welcome to Active Listeners with Mike and Shane. Thank you for joining us for what is going to be our 29th episode. And bow, bow, bow. you're going to get your Shane and Mike episode an episode early. I know we yeah. typically do one every every 10 episodes or so. So we had a guest planned, but Mike and I had our opening weekend for Will Kemp's Players, which I'm sure... A lot of you have heard us talk about if you're longtime listeners. And so we had a bit of a scheduling snafu. So we decided to bring you the Mike and Shane episode a little bit earlier in the season. Yeah, and we're going we're gonna to talk post-opening weekend and kind of share about our experience um, doing this. This is my, God, fourth, fifth fourth season it's it should hard be, it with should that be COVID the fifth year season. in there yeah, do you yeah. count that you know covid year definitely derailed some things so yeah this is my fourth season since uh i don't know 2016 when i and uh the other uh og members started the group and i think this is your second season technically I participating think, i think i did some stuff that would consider me three seasons but i didn't really start the dramaturgical editing of scripts until two years ago sure sure which would put me at my my second year yeah and then also that year you came up and did some like uh rehearsal you ran some rehearsals uh, for romeo and juliet romeo at and juliet. the pub and try yeah yeah oh and macbeth actually yes yeah we did do we did a scene from romeo and juliet we did a scene from macbeth we also did another scene i think it was a scene from much ado um but that was that i th- believe that was a sandy a Sandy uh, scene. Sandy yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember tackling that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, this season, uh, we are we actually put on a full production of Much Ado, uh, as well yeah, as, we did. as You Like It, or we are putting on, I should say, because it's we're in the, we're in the throes of it now. Yeah, um, I directed Much Ado About Nothing. Our artistic director, Sandra, who we've had on, directed As You Like It. And Mike is acting in both of them because he is a glutton for punishment. <laughs> it's actually not too bad this season. I'm playing uh, smaller roles. Um, I'm, I have more to do in Much Ado uh, than in As You Like It. 
as you like it. I'm, I'm playing Corin, who is the old shepherd, and I'm one half of the voice of Hyman. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into that probably in a little bit. No, we are definitely going to get into the conversation of Hyman. Okay. Well, That's okay, happening. okay, yeah, yeah, it's definitely happening. Uh, and then for much ado, I'm playing Baraccio and the Friar, which is nice. is a nice track because it's it's both the 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 villain and kind of sort of redeemer of the play. Yeah, I think that we've done that a couple times in Much Ado because our actor body playing hero is also playing Dogberry. So there's actor that. body, I like that. Yeah, you don't have to gender actors. I mean, I, I figure actor. I just say actor. I don't say actress anymore. But I like when that. I grew up, actor was male and actress was female. And then at some point, Ditto. that shifted. There's actually a movement to spell it with an er instead of an or. That kind of, that neutralizes uh, what? Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 a small movement, but it's it's something that I've I've heard of in these discussions talking about you know de uh genderifying words that's a word sure um no that i buy it completely <laughs> so yeah i mean either way actor is is the way i i tend to look at it or performer even though that's a broader scope yeah of what you're doing so yeah so our person playing hero is also playing dogberry and you get this really nice self-redemption uh, for those of you who know the play, Hero oftentimes is set dressing and has very few lines. Even though the whole play is about Hero. Even though the entire play is about them. And then you have this Dogberry track that actually finds out about all the lying taking place. And so it's nice to have the the person playing Hero actually get to save themselves instead of being saved. Sure, sure. Even though... Even though he does it completely on accident. <laughs> oh, definitely does uh, it on The character uh, Dogberry does it completely on accident. Or, or not. Watch, I, guess, yeah. I guess it depends really on like uh, one thing that is ever present in Shakespearean performance is interpretation. Um, you know, sure, there's a way that it is written, but there's always subtextual things that you can do to tell a different story or tell a more rich and complete story or just sort of adapt the story to what you want to tell that's my favorite part about Shakespeare is that you can kind of tell any story you want within most of these plays and it's just about how you're layering information into it and what you choose to highlight versus what you choose to sort of push to the side as for our much ado we're setting it in the 90s and, you know, we're talking a lot about toxic masculinity, and we are also having this conversation about uh, gender and homosexuality mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily ingrained in the text of Much Ado, but Much Ado is so flexible that it allowed us to do a lot of those things. I am the most resistant and that I'm not very resistant, but I do kind of give a little bit of pushback when it comes to certain types of interpretation of Shakespeare's plays. I do believe it does have to live in the text somewhere. If somewhere, not, yeah, yeah. You know, if not blatantly, just you, you have to be able to take a piece of it at least and say, oh, well, this is, this is the part of it that we're going to play with. This is the part that we're going to accentuate to make our message ring truer. 
Yeah, I remember a director in college. My favorite thing that they ever taught me was there are no wrong choices in Shakespeare, but there are a lot of potato choices. (laughs) Choices that just kind of sit there and don't do anything. But you can do it because Shakespeare's dead. There's no copyright. You can do whatever you want, but that doesn't make it interesting. I mean, potatoes are versatile. I know. As soon as I said it, I hated it because I love potatoes so much. I think I think the, there's a version of it that I, I like to say, that I say often, is there aren't wrong choices, but there are better choices <laughs> or more interesting choices or more complex choices. And that extends that extends to all performance, you know, like there's there's no wrong choice, but there are there are right choices <laughs> i like more complex choices because it doesn't put the onus on the actor to oh no i'm not being interesting enough i'm not doing my job enough mm-hmm. by by sort of challenging the complexity of the choice you give them something to think about you give them stuff to oh i can do this and this and that and that instead of what i was doing and it makes it more complicated which is arguably better to watch yeah and when it comes to shakespeare i think what happens to me a lot during the process is there's there's like three stages there's me figuring out what my character is all about there's then there's me realizing i was wrong and (laughs) discovering what the actual motivations are but then what you'll run into with shakespeare is also each character is serving the show in one way or the other. Each character is is either playing a role within their role in and of itself, whether it's delivering exposition, whether it's delivering, you know, the poetry of the moment in a setting in which you're provided the experience of the point that's being made. Because you have to remember Shakespeare is a poet. That's why it's so pretty to listen to. And then there's the final stage, which is like making the discoveries that unite the character's purpose to the character's motivations. And that's where I that's where I am living right now as I'm as I'm continuing to do the performances and to discover new things because that never changes. We could run this show for a year and I would still find new things every time I did it. Absolutely. And it's interesting to hear you talk about it from an actor's perspective, because I guess I've just over the years have tuned my brain to start looking at it from directorial points of view. And the first thing you said just sparked this truth in me of, yeah, every character has a role they're playing within the show. And that's why it's so hard to cut Shakespeare. That's why it's so hard to cut out characters in Shakespeare because more often than not they are counterbalancing something in that play and when you cut them all of a sudden you've taken a weight off one side of the scale and the show can still work and it can still make sense but you kind of leave the audience questioning wanting more because you offered an argument but you never offered a counter argument so why don't you do our audience a favor and tell them a little bit about Much Ado 
if they haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a while. And then tell us like what was important for you to explore with these characters. I hate Much Ado. <laughs> Hands down. Um, it's certainly not my least favorite play, but it is by no means my favorite play. So when I came into this production, for me, it wasn't about what the characters had to say. It was about what the actors had to say. And I really tried to focus on Will Kemp as an entity when I sort of put this play together. Originally, when we were going to do this play, we were going to set it in the 20s because we were doing it in the year 2020. And it was just like, oh, yeah, this all works out. We're all going to get to wear flapper dresses and we're going to bootleg some booze. And then the world exploded. And so we postponed our year. And when we came back to it, it didn't make sense to have it be in the 20s anymore. Partially because after COVID happened, I felt like the conversation around plays and the text of plays had to change. The story I wanted to tell when we were setting it in the 20s was about bootleggers and was about this idea of uh, uh, capitalistic views that force people into a black market or an underground market. And while that kind of still made sense, I just needed to shift it completely. And so we kind of landed on the 90s, which I don't know how many people agreed with when we first started. But I think it's worked out. We've found this great balance of having the characters in the play have their own agency. Sort of like we talked about with Hero and the Dogberry balance. Uh, my favorite example of this is actually at the end of the play. There's a editorial choice where Beatrice's uncle says the line, I will stop your mouth. Actually, the line is, peace, I will stop your mouth. And editorially, over the years, that has been shifted to go to Benedict, her lover. And everyone loves it because you get to end the play with a kiss, and the lovers get to have each other, and Beatrice isn't being told to shut the fuck up by her uncle. Because that's ultimately what is happening. That is the text as written. But the text as edited over the years um, created this kerfuffle in our production. And so how we tackled that problem was we just had both characters say the line. And it gave all of the actors in the show agency. And it also allowed our uh, female lead to kind of feel a little more empowered than she would if she was told to shut up by her uncle at the end of the play instead of this newfound love that she trusts embracing her it's funny you say when you said uh you wanted to kind of let the actors tell the story for me when 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 you were when we were discussing placing this in another time, I, I I generally don't have take issue with re resetting Shakespeare. What what does what does bother me is when we try to ascribe uh, a specificity 
to that placement. So there was some talk early on in the process of like, oh, well, they're coming back from war. So what war is it? And, you know, where, you, where are they actually? And what's this place? If it's not actual, if it's not, you know, Messina in this 1500s, what's Messina now? And part of what I like about Shakespeare is even where and when it was placed, it's all fictional. It's unless it's a history or it's loosely based on real events, like much ado, there is no one conflict that you can you can for any, you know, any surety say this is the war they're coming back from at this time to Messina at this time when things were like this. There's just just a bunch of vagueness. Right. And it's partially because Shakespeare made a lot of crap up. So um, to do that on the back end and say, okay, we're going to put it in in the 90s. And then have to have all these specific things occurring around the play. It doesn't serve the play. It might help the actors kind of locate where they are. But I always love the idea of being like the 90s. Yeah. And I think that's the balance you have to strike. You know, that's the balance you have to find. Because I'm with you. I. It doesn't matter what war these people are coming back from. It doesn't matter it's irrelevant because shakespeare wasn't writing about a time he was writing about a zeitgeist he was writing mm -hmm. about relationships and and why that's interesting is because you can look at it and say wow these relationships 400 years ago echo relationships that we see in the 90s and sometimes it's difficult for an audience to see people in elizabethan regalia and spouting this what they perceive to be complex language and they just shut off. They don't want to give it a chance because it's too complicated. You just have to bridge that gap. It also serves your goal, right? In service, in service of your performers, because like most of us in that production grew up in the nineties were heavily influenced by the, the fashion, the, the music and, I just saw with so much delight how much everyone was so invested because, oh, let's cover, let's do a, a parody of Seal's Kiss from a Rose and let's, you know, let's wear fanny packs, fanny packs and acid wash jeans, bright colors and sunglasses and every accessory we can find. It was fun to walk into that rehearsal space every day and to see those discoveries being made in the service of of telling the story and that's one of the things that we do as Kemp's is we every story we tell is a collaborative effort even when we set them back in you know up in the appropriate time and space and i love doing shows in early elizabethan dress you know i love yeah man we look we look so fly in our oh, yeah. period clothing you know like put me in a corset and a vest i look dope <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's also interesting um coming off of opening weekend because there's so many this there's a little bit of baggage that comes along with rehearsing a thing for so many weeks. By the time you're at the you're at the end of the line, you're in hell week, which for non performers is the final week of rehearsals where you're also teching and dress rehearsals and sorry and mike that's actually a common misconception hell week is literally hell <laughs> the oh, oceans yeah, we are open up 
and flames shoot, shoot from the bottom the of sky. hell. <laughs> and you have to deal with that as the you actor gotta and director. You got to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, you got to deal with that. Beelzebub is a bitch. That might be, I want that cross-stitched. <laughs> Put it on a t-shirt. Yeah, so, yeah, I... I uh, Sorry, I super sidetracked you, and now all I can think about is that Beelzebub is a bitch is the name of this episode. (laughs) And everyone will be so confused. Yeah, so you get to the end of your, you know, that long rehearsal period. And then at some point, for me, it's the night before. The night before, you usually were dark, meaning we don't have a rehearsal. We don't have a tech. We don't have a dress. We do all that. We have our, you know, our final day of freedom, freedom. And then... We open the next day. So it's the dark night when I'm getting getting ready for bed. I'm going to wake up the next morning and then get dressed and leave my house for the entire day. And I remember, oh, yeah, right. We have like eight more weeks. Oh, you live in that liminal space of like, oh, no. And then you're like, oh, I only have to do this once. <laughs> yeah, it's not, oh, no. It's, it's, uh, it's like the... It's the acknowledgement that the learning process, the the uphill battle is really, it's over. But it's you also know what I mean? Like that part of it is over. in so many ways because. But the thing is just Because started. how many opening yeah, nights yeah. have you gone to and you're just like, wow, that show is not good. And then if you get an <laughs> opportunity to see it later in its run, you're like, oh, wow, look at all of that stuff. Because. When you're in a show and you're directing a show and you're acting in a show, I feel like a lot of things get layered in. A lot of things are layered Mm -hmm. and layered and layered in rehearsals. And when you get to that performance, part of it comes down to what the actors remember. And, oh, I was going to do this really cool thing that helps tell the story, but I forgot to do it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the story so that gives you opportunities to relayer those things in as you go along. I also I also live in a world where like sometimes there is for whatever reason and so and and honestly I couldn't even give you a specific like like this one time when I decided to do this but like you're you could be you have you could have done it a certain way a million times. And you get to opening or even a couple of weeks in and you realize it was the wrong choice. Oh, yeah. You realize like, oh, either because it complicates staging or it complicates your relationship or it doesn't complicate it enough. You realize even though you've been running this thing for two and a half months, you made a bad call or you didn't make the best call. And then the best call is sometimes to just not do that thing. Or to do something else. Yeah, and it's tough because it also depends on the circumstances you're doing it in. A lot of companies you go and work for, it's what you did at rehearsal. That's what goes on stage every Mm -hmm. week, Mm -hmm. period, Mm -hmm. bottom line. If you come to opening night or you come to closing night, you get the same exact show. And you have to have a lot of rehearsal time to pull that off. Because part of that, I think of, you know, you're a month in, two months in, and you're like, wow, that choice I've been making all of this time, that's not the most complicated choice I could be making here. 
mm-hmm. you have to discover that in rehearsal. Yeah. Especially in WKP, when we're only rehearsing for a couple days a week for two months. That's a drop in the bucket, you know? Yeah. And then you get in front of an audience and they start reacting to things and they're going to hear things and react to things that you weren't expecting. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, that line that I've just been glossing over, that's the crux of the entire entire character. And you have a great story on that because while we were collaborating on the cut for Baraccio, there was that line that I had cut. And you were like, actually, I think that is his entire character. Oh, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, You get, sometimes you, especially when you're cutting Shakespeare, because, like Shane mentioned before, the ideas and the concepts can be so meticulously laid out by the language that either you, you can make a cut and not realize that there was information in it that you needed. Or you can you can not make cuts, which is the case with our other show, which like let's lay it out there, right? Like your show is cut a lot more um than than uh, as you like it is. Uh, yeah, it's just I the nature cut... of how Sandy directs versus how you direct. Yeah. And we actually cut our own shows this year, which is the one of the first times that we've done that. Um, right. And and when with you being involved, yeah, you 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 typically uh have done both shows i think for two seasons you did both shows yeah um and yeah so you can kind of get to a point where you're either like oh wow you know what i really i really could have probably probably cut more of this you know um or yeah and 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 typically what i what i always try to look for when i'm looking at my cuts is can i make sense of this so that it makes sense to them and if I get to a point where I'm like, hmm, there's, I'm saying things and there's something missing. There's, a, there's, a, there is no link between these two thoughts. And that's part of the problem, you know. Uh, when I'm cutting a script, I'm not reading it out loud. I'm mm-hmm. reading it on a page. And mm-hmm. as we've established, so much of Shakespeare has to be spoken out loud to be appreciated and understood. That once the actor body starts saying those lines, they're like, well, this thought and this thought doesn't connect. And it's like, well, good call because I made a huge cut there. That makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. And so we put it back. And I think that's part of the conversation of, you know, uh, a a solid director collaborating with their cast of, yes, we have this overarching story that we all want to tell. And I'm not going to be the hundred percent, end all know all you know the Mm -hmm. there are 10 other people in this room arguably more smarter than i am (laughs) and (laughs) they're the ones that are going to be on stage saying these words i think i think also what a lot of even actors in just other actors might not understand about doing shakespeare and why we do it the way we do it is because it's it is a completely different method. Like we talk about method in acting and and that both applies to the method at which an actor conjures a character and creates you know crafts a character, but it's also can be applied in the in into the way that the show itself is rehearsed or realized. And Shakespeare, not only did they have a different, 
he have a different way of writing, but his writing often served the way in which they worked and, and the way in which people took in theater. But not only that, it, he was writing for specific people. You right, know? right. So people would come and sit at the theater for three hours because that's what you did on a Friday or whatever. You say three hours. That is a super low estimate. Once that is a low estimate. Yeah. Once you yeah. start including, especially once he moved indoors and they had to start lowering candles and mm -hmm. wicking candles yep. and you're adding interludes and you're adding songs and you're always going to have a clown that says more than put than is put down for him. <laughs> you're talking a four and a half five and a half hour experience event. yeah it's an experience and yeah, we yeah. don't do that anymore no no so yeah so like that's why a lot of times there's repetition there's there's things that are said and reset and said again you're not paying attention because you're in the you're in the you know you're in the 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 penny was it the, the pit right the pit and yeah yeah there was a fight that broke out in the middle of act four like because everyone like... got super drunk or, <laughs> or you're peed on <laughs> <laughs> gross or you're sitting next to uh a lady of the night and yeah yeah <laughs> perhaps she distracted you there are those things to consider while cutting and getting a show ready for a modern audience where we're just like and hey, so we really can't have shows that last longer than like two hours 215 with an intermission you know yeah and then let's dive into that because as you said um we each each director cut their own script this year and i cut much ado down to about two hours and mm -hmm, i wasn't mm -hmm. super involved in as you like it so what has that experience been like yeah i mean it's 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 funny because we did the shows this weekend and I, I didn't feel any worse for wear for that extra half hour. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't feel like that extra... Again, I'm I'm a smaller character in that play, uh, or characters in that play. Um, but a good example, it would be the second character that I play, Hyman. Most modern performances will either change that staging so that if they do Hyman's song at all, it's just Hyman's song for the wedding. And then that's it. There's no, you know, um, and yeah, Hyman, Hyman for anyone is a quasi Greek, early, early, early adopted pagan to Christianity spirit. Um, for any of you that might be familiar with a green man, it yeah, is very think, much along think those green lines. man. I think also Heim is in the, uh, Jewish faith is serves a similar purpose. Basically, is the god of of uh, or spirit of fertility. Um, oh, he, sure. Yeah, uh, Hyman. I mean, they named that part yeah, after yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, if you think about it, it it's also so close to the word uh, like him, him, and not. Yep. And so I I never actually made that connection. And you're talking about Hyman's song. And it's a hymn. And it's a hymn. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, but in As You Like It, it serves the purpose of the placing of the thing. This is the time in which the, the church was making its way out into these forests, these dales, 
the Moors and assimilating those cultures, but then those cultures were also pushing back in a lot of ways. Uh, you Protestant. Protestant, the big Protestant shifts happening. And this was also a time of huge censorship. And I, I think part of that Hyman character is an attempt to get past the censors, get past the masters of revels. You know, if you make a character that is explicitly having a conversation about religion, it was a little more difficult to get past the censors. But when you turn it into a song and you made it a god character and this green man and you add a magical element to it, all of a sudden it's theatrical and not right it's myth it's fiction it's yeah yeah getting back to like the the point um about it being just a a longer less cut show yeah i i i don't i don't necessarily feel the worse for having it be that much longer i mean i've been in longer productions (laughs) let's be real sure have Uh, hamlet is long even a cut of hamlet is long othello is long you know, um, and having sat in the audience for both shows, I also didn't feel the worse for wear having sat in the audience for that extra half hour or 45 minutes. And I usually do. I'm usually a very impatient theater mm-hmm, goer. Mm-hmm. I'm the type of audience member who is like, if nothing's happening on stage, my neurodivergent mind is like, okay, bye. I want to go leave and go do yeah, something else yeah. because your job as a, a a theater practitioner is to entertain me. And even if it's only three seconds, five seconds, 10 seconds, that's time I'm not being entertained. And it's sure, sure. awful, but it's so, it's just me. It's just, it's, it's truth for me, you know? Which, which is what makes more interesting choices all that much more important. Those more complex choices. Yeah. Right. Is that it's, if you're watching a, a an entire show just built upon potato choices, you said potato chips. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna hold the audience for an hour, let alone two and a half three. hours. Three. Yeah. Three hours. Uh let's also dive into some of the other stuff that's not acting or directing because we also do theater outside and you yeah. specifically are what's your title? Um, it has it ha- it is ever fluctuating because we all wear so many hats it's hard to kind of pin it down um but we've we've landed on a technical production director um so basically technical director um with the inclusion of some other production uh type like executive producer type uh duties yeah um so so primarily what what I what my the role that I play that is outside of performance would be for instance we we have sound equipment now we are mics Oh yeah outside. we have mics now So uh I'm partially responsible for 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 coordinating for that. that and coordinating sure yes coordinating works, yeah. the setup for that our musical director who's also a uh, a performer and has has plenty of like concert performance um, and experience like and experience. Stuff, yeah. He he is more of the the knowledge behind the getting that set up, um, especially right now. 
uh, Chris, who has been on our on the on the show, a friend of the show. Hi, Chris. Uh, and also, uh, he, if you haven't, go back and listen Rags, to that episode. I don't know. I don't know how we refer to him. Most. I think we re- refer to him as uh, Ragliachi <laughs> Rags because it's such a fun Rags. name to say. It is a fun, but name to say. it's in. I've never run a board before, uh, but for your as you like it dress mm-hmm. rehearsal where mm-hmm. you decided to use mics, I was like, you know, maybe it's time. <laughs> and I definitely didn't dive too deep into it, but I started, you know, understanding the basic mechanics. Um, but the thing I wanted to talk about, and I don't want to get too spoilery for our specific production, as far mm-hmm. as the story goes, if you don't know the story you're 400 years behind the curve so (laughs) uh but you had a really large responsibility i did i did i had to create hymen now um so since we are traditionally staging hymen at least in in terms of making him a character in the play uh and like giving life to this character we decided that Hyman was going to also be otherworldly. He wasn't going to be a person in a costume. He was going to be a puppet with a 25-foot wingspan. <laughs> so, so Hyman is, yes, uh, if you come see the show, the green man head on top of the set will eventually move. <laughs> and it was great because you kept telling me throughout this entire process, you're like, I'm building a puppet. And I was like, okay, have you ever built a puppet before? And you're like, no. And you're and you're like, actually, I'm building a really big puppet. Yeah. And so my brain goes to Bread and Puppet Theater, who uses those giant, you know, yeah, yeah. Similar foot. Similar. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And I got to the run of As You Like It on Sunday, and I watched you doing all of this work, and I was just watching you for, I don't know, an hour and a half, two hours, <laughs> helping when I could, of course. But then it got to the end and you told me that that was the puppet and my mind was blown. <laughs> for whatever reason, it did not click that that giant thing that you that were working doing, on was the yeah, yeah. puppet. I thought you were just Because it also plays the drapes. plays the part of set dressing, right? Yeah. Like if you if you if you came to the show and you didn't hear me explain that I made a puppet for this show and that it was Even the green man. Even if they do know that. Right. You don't know that it's the one that is hanging on the set that just looks like drapery and a green man. Right? And be careful if you do come to see this show, that thing will stare you down. <laughs> he it doesn't does, matter where you have, move, it follows him. Have, he does have uh follow-y eyes. <laughs> so yeah, and and of of on other things, you know, I I've I've I'm responsible for and and oversee a lot of is like um making sure that we have a prop master, making sure that, you know, that those things are either being purchased or made um costuming technically falls under both mine and sandy's purview in terms of producing on my side and design and on her side so it's like a thing where we both wear a hat you know what i mean or at least there's two hats that are involved in in the one making of a thing uh which is part of i would i would say a lot of what you serve is dramaturgical uh and and oh, if yeah. we were to give you a title it would be the you know company dramaturg uh, give me that title <laughs> and you know and then we have people that are in charge of personnel you know that are just in charge of making sure 
that our stage management uh, staff are getting people where they need to be. If it's a rain location change, you know, if it's uh, uh, and I feel like that's a new HR problem company this year, isn't it? Uh, we've always had um, it's it was a different it's a different person this year, which is maybe why it seems like um, it's new. Uh, it was a it was a, a former member of the company um, that did it before. But with every growing company, you are going to do things better every year. And we've definitely gotten to a point where not that the person doing it was the the like catalyst for it improving. It's just been improving every year. So it's going to keep improving every year. And that was kind of what I was wanting to emphasize on that point yeah. is that as a company that's growing we're starting to find these things that we have to kind of plug people into that we didn't necessarily think we were going to yeah, have to yeah, at the absolutely. top of this whole process. Yep. And also our relationship with our community changes, you know, and and grows and and evolves. I mean, this year we have, you know, we have our audio equipment and our and our sound equipment uh we owe to the the Linda WAMC, uh, you know, and and striking uh, a bargain with them on some of their older equipment that they no longer use. And then we had a rain location for our Troy performances because of a relationship that we forged over years with the the art center of the Capital District. So it's like every year things change for us. Uh, and. I'm I mean I'm constantly blown away with what we're able to accomplish and how far we've come and and where we're going to end up. Um yeah, it's 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 good things it's happening. A, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um and I, I and I kind of think that's a great place to wrap up our talk here and I actually kind of want to end it on maybe a a, a bit of a silly fun note. Let's talk about some things that maybe didn't go according to plan. Oh, sure. Maybe. Yeah. Hyman was decapitated at the end as you like it. <laughs> it was so funny. It was so funny. It was great. And man, oh, that thing man. thumped it, it to the ground it, it hard. Fell hard. Uh, yeah. You know what? I think, and, and I don't even think I'm going to fix it. I'm just going to handle it a different way. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to. Sure. I'm just going to, I think, because also, so Hyman is a. Not only it's kind of a meta character because not only is he the god figure at the end of the play, but he's also a puppet. Like it's it is a it is staged in a way that Rosalind has orchestrated this whole thing. So I think what's actually going to end up happening is that my character will just come off, come on stage, and just take the head down. You know what I mean? And then and that's what it is. You know how much of that came from the mistake that it fell happened because it created this great theatrical moment where one of the <laughs> actors on stage picked up the head and just lifted it over their head and the whole audience loved it. They loved right. it. They applauded right. like crazy. And I think that's just part of the fun of live theater live is theater, that things know. will go wrong. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Things are going to go wrong. And it's all about how you've, 
prepared your play because things like that could have derailed an entire show absolutely even at the end but everyone stayed professional knew their role and one of the actors just picked him up and (laughs) the play continued and the play ended it was it was i don't want to say the best moment of the play because that's credits a lot of the work (laughs) that you did but it was the realist moment of the play because it was unplanned that's another part of live performance is if things if and when things go wrong you have to it's a different it's that's the difference between like a film where people only see what you want them to see and being in front of someone live you know they're going to see that stuff and yeah and like some you know some things that happen are unfortunate and you wish that they didn't happen you know um but you roll with it and you you move on to the yeah. next the next the next show Hey, Mike, do you want to ask me about audience participation this week? I do want to ask you about audience participation. You know, I felt it. I saw it in your eyes. I saw it in your eyes. I want to ask you so badly. Are you ready? I'm so ready. My body is ready. Your body is ready. Shane, what do you have for audience participation this week? How dare you ask me that question? (laughs) No, I'm just messing with you. Sorry. So... I think a great audience participation is, for those of you that do live forms of entertainment, what is that moment that you remember where something didn't go as planned? And I don't want to say something that went wrong, but something that didn't go according to your rehearsed plans, and how did you make it part of the show? Yeah, I think that's good audience participation for this week. So if you would like to participate and drop us a line, you can do so by heading to our page on Anchor and sending us a voice message and we might play it on the show. Or you can go ahead and head to our Facebook, www.facebook.com slash pod. Or you can check us out on the Twitters at ActListPod. And as always, join in the conversation. Peace. If you like what you hear leave us a rating and if you really like what you hear and you want to support the show go to patreon.com slash active listeners pod and become a patron our theme music it's a trap was created by remodel thanks for listening